It's February 5th, 2010. This is 508, a show about Worcester. Today on the show we have Greg Opperman. We have Brendan Mellican. These, these title cards are larger than your head at this distance. <laughs> and we have Tracy Novick. How's everybody doing this morning? Excellent. Greg, it's nice to have you on the show. This is your debut appearance of our it is. There we go. Awesome. Well, today on the show, I'm Mike Benedetti, by the way. We have, uh, today, on, this is a show that we do on about Worcester. We talk about the city once a week. Um, you can go on Facebook. You can send us emails. You can send us, uh, you can give us phone calls if you have ideas that we need to talk about on the show. Today's real focus of the show is going to be education. Um, we're going to, Greg's on the show because Greg is now the uh, creator of the, he's the cook of the world's best vegan macaroni and cheese recipe. Um, I think it's the uncontested world's best recipe. Um, if you have a better one, talk to the talk I mean, contested. It was contested, and it was contested, and you won. Yeah, it was. All right, it was previously it's emerged from the field of battle as <laughs> the greatest in Worcester. So. <laughs> no, the greatest in the world, also. Oh. The great, that's what I'm saying. Um, and we're also going to talk about a charity beard competition, and we're also going to talk about Haiti fundraising. But mostly, we're going to talk to Tracy about schools. Tracy Novick of the uh, school committee. Um, tell most, us about schools. <laughs> tell us about schools. <laughs> most, mostly, we, mostly we prohibit politicians from this show, but Tracy, as a longtime panelist, is grandfathered in. Thank you. Tracy, I know nothing about um, education, and you know a lot about education. I've, it's been very exciting to hear that, despite what your critics before the election said, that since becoming a public official, you continue to blog and uh, post I other did. things on the I internet. I did. In fact, I actually live blogged last night from, from the meeting because I, I felt that... that that there was going to be this gap otherwise. We were doing the, the fiscal 11 budget presentation, and that was the sort of thing where I usually would be posting right away. So, Well, so let me, let me ask you, before we get into budget stuff and policy stuff, because mm-hmm. we'll spend a lot of time talking about that, I wanted to ask you about um, uh, Belmont, Belmont School, Belmont Street Community School, which was extensively vandalized uh, a while back. Yes. And uh, there's been some fundraisers and things on this. What is, what's the latest on this? So, right, so about two Sundays ago, um, a couple of people broke into the building. We don't know how many people. Um, sometime, it was Sunday morning, and um, it went through the school and created a path of, of destruction, um, destroyed things, threw things around, broke things. And um, it was discovered Monday morning. They had to evacuate the kids from the school. Um, and... Uh, in fact, I drove by and saw all these school buses and wondered if they were going on a field trip, but nothing quite so nice. Um, the estimation was that there was at least $100,000 worth of damage done to the, to the building and also to, to things in the building. Uh, they cleaned it up. They turned it around within 72 hours and had the kids back in the classrooms by Thursday, which was pretty amazing um, considering how much destruction was done. We've had... Almost immediately, people started saying, what can we do? Can we go up there and fix things? Can we clean things up? Can we give you money? Can we donate stuff? And the latest was that last night, <clears throat> Representative Pedoni, Senator Chandler, and some others pulled together a fundraiser over at Coral Seafood and put together a um, match for Hanover Insurance had offered $50,000 if the community could step up and come up with another 50000 And um, we matched it last night. Okay. Um, and that's in addition to just over the last week and a half of people sending in checks, we were already accepting $14,000 at last night's school committee meeting. So, um, And that's just straightforwardly money. Um, I know there's a couple thousand dollars that came in last night through the silent auction that was being done at Coral Seafood. And then um, there's a lot of businesses and so forth that have been offering 
products. Um, people have offered computers. People have offered other things. So mm-hmm. um, we're still compiling a list. I've got a list up on my website of things where the teachers said, you know, we somebody went through and destroyed file folders. We need a package of that. There's actually a really extensive list that the teachers compiled of actual physical products that they're missing. Too. Okay. So we'll and we'll link to that if people want to get involved and want to make a direct donation mm-hmm. to uh, to cleaning up the, that school effort. So should we should we talk about um, Race to the Top, or should we talk about budget stuff first? Well, there's no new news on Race to the Top. Worcester has signed... Um, <clears throat> well, then, well, then let's talk about budget, and then you can explain kay. to me what, what Race to the Top is. Sure. Um, so we had our, our initial budget presentation last night, and the, the trick with the Worcester Public Schools budget that I think we all tend to forget is that about two-thirds of the Worcester Public School budget comes from the state. Okay. So there's only so much that we in Worcester can do. For as much of that, as long as that is true, there's only so much that we have control over. Okay. So I think there's some frustration um, sometimes in the community, and I was even hearing some of it last night on the committee um, from people who don't necessarily know that until the House passes their budget, until the Senate passes their budget, until it goes to conference committee, we don't know for sure how much money we're going to get. So last night's initial budget presentation is based on the governor's budget, which he brought out last week. Okay. Um, and then based around what we know around, you know, everything else. How much is health insurance going to go up? How, what are the bus contract is going to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, those sorts of things. How much does the city have to give us through the foundation formula? The state says that the city has to give us a particular amount of money for education. Mm-hmm. Um, so the good news is that it isn't the $26 million that we were talking about in December that we're missing. The bad news is that it's probably somewhere around six million, which is still a pretty large figure. This is so the, the budget would be six million less compared to last year. Right. Budget? So we need to come up with some way of cutting six million dollars from the budget or coming up with an additional six million dollars. Okay. Can I ask a stupid question? Does that six million dollars is that reflective on uh, gaps in the governor's budget or is that reflective of shortfalls in revenue generation on our side? Um, it's a combination. It's uh, a combination, but the it's actually a li- little less probably shortfalls on the governor's side because the state is it said it was level funding education, and the trick with that always is they say they're level funding education, which usually means that they're level funding the chapter seventy money. But we get other money from the state too. We get state grants and stuff. So the chapter seventy money is that is what's that? What do you mean by that? <clears throat> That's there's it, chapter seventy in the Massachusetts general laws sets up how much money the state gives to communities for education. Okay. So we talk about. Chapter 70, which is the state money going to towns and cities for education. Worcester, because of um, the population that it serves, also gets a whole bunch of other money from the state in the form of grants. And so sometimes in some years, they will keep Chapter 70 level funded, at which point everybody goes, yay, they're level funding Chapter 70, and then we'll get a cut in a grant. So far, it doesn't look like that's happened. So these grants are for like low-income communities? And that sort of thing, English language learners. And we... We, one of the things that came out last night is we have a growing population of all of those things. Um, our, let's see, our low, our English language learner population went up by 14% last week, last year. Our low income, I hope I'm getting these numbers right, went up by 7% last year. And we also have a growing population where we, we have 244 more students this year than we did last year. Really? Yes. And that's the second year in a row that that's happened. Hmm. Um, so here's the interesting thing, which is that um, in a normal year, if our population goes up, the amount of money that the city is required to spend on education goes up, okay. and the amount of money we get from the state goes up. Because of the economy being the way that it is, we have usually the part of what gets figured in is the inflation factor, which makes sense, right? So we're all spending money, more money on 
gas and everything else because costs go up. This year, for the first time in as far as anyone can remember, we have a negative inflation factor. So the state is calculating by negative 2.2% how much everybody has to go. So the, the, the numbers are going down okay. rather than up. So we have um, more students, less money. Exactly. Or less state money. Yes. Well, unless it's, it's actually, it's um, more city money, but it's not as much more city money as it would be in a normal year with a regular inflation factor. Okay. And now, of course, the other thing is that the city has to still come up with that money, which is why you'll hear numbers being discussed on their side as to where are they going to get the money from. Great. Costs don't necessarily go down with inflation, though. I mean, it's not like you can go to Staples and all of a sudden because, you know, there's 2.2% deflation doesn't mean that, like, pencils cost Less. And that's where we get hit. Um, in fact, one of the one of the things that um, <coughs> Brian Allen is the chief financial officer for the Worcester Public Schools and was talking about this last night and was sort of was saying with a wry smile that the it's a federal inflation factor which is calculated based on state and federal spending. So if the state and the Fed are spending less money, then it gets into a cycle of of course the the inflation factor is going to be negative and then everybody else is going to get less money, which means we're going to have to spend less money and. Um, that there, sounds totally there strange. A, there may be a there may be a question there as to whether or not we should be figuring things out this way, but um, it is the way that it is figured out, and that's one of the things we're dealing with. Okay. Do you, and do you have do you have any do we have any? Uh, is it worth speculating like what this what what less money would mean, or whether this is going to be figured out at the last minute? Um. Well, first of all, it depends on how much less money. There's a couple of things that are working in our favor. The first is that technically we have a 14 million dollar budget gap. But when we got the federal stimulus money last year, the um, financial office made the decision to spend only half of it and to save half of it for this year. So we have $8 million that we've been sitting on for the past year that we now can put towards fiscal year 11. So that cuts down the $14 million deficit to six. To six, yes, which is certainly better news than it would be. Okay. Um, The other thing... But that's only going to happen for, that's like a one-time deal. Well, and this is where it gets scary is that you, you you know, we're budgeting for this coming year, but there is no, I mean, there's no indication that we're going to get any more money. And there's also no indication that the economy is suddenly going to make some sort of sharp, amazing turnaround that's going to fix everything. Right. So when you start talking about fiscal year 12, which we have to, you know, make projections for those sorts of things, there's, there is no... So this year we're spending the first of the stimulus money. Like right now we're spending the first of the stimulus no, money. No, um, we actually spent some of the stimulus money, or the state did, for last year. We okay. got it in fiscal year 10, but because, if you remember, the, there was not as much money coming into the state through state through state taxes. By the, by the time we were getting halfway through fiscal year 9, the state actually spent some of the fiscal year 10 money in fiscal year 9. That was when, when the city re- laid off all of the workers mm-hmm. last January. Okay. The reason that the schools didn't have to lay off anyone is because the state actually spent right away some stimulus money that was actually supposed to be for the year we're in now to save education jobs. Okay. We would have had to lay off teachers across the state if the state hadn't done that. Okay. So we've already spent stimulus money for three fiscal years, or we will going into this next year, um, partly because of what the st- how the state calculated things, which is the other thing. One of, one of the things that we had the budget presentation, the first person who got up and spoke last night was Brian O'Connell, and um, he is a chief financial officer himself. He, he works for the Winchester Public Schools and basically took us through all of the ways this could still go very, very wrong. Um, 
that you know the the state budget depends on increasing taxes on things like cigars it there's you know the, the question of whether or not tax um, income is going to continue to go down in the state um, there's questions over whether or not they're going to decide that the way that the state is calculating the foundation formula isn't fair to suburban communities i mean there's a bunch of things that you know once you take this budget and throw it into the house um what, what are all the the reps going to decide mm -hmm. and what are all the senators going to decide mm -hmm. And we're just we're at the mercy of that. Okay. The good news is, of course, that Massachusetts's deficit is actually lower than most other states' deficits. So there you go. <laughs> we're not we're not in a California right. or Somalia <laughs> style we're situation. About building prisons in Mexico to house. <laughs> well, there's that, and also the other thing that I felt hopeful about, and I said this last night, was that I was driving <clears throat> um, yesterday morning and heard the Boston Public Schools had had their school committee meeting. Wednesday night, and they are pro projecting a budget deficit of $57 million, um, where we have what's called the rule, you know, what I refer to as the Brian Allen rule of three, which is that any number for Boston, if you divide by three, is true of Worcester, at okay. least in terms of the public schools, which would mean that we'd be looking at a $19 million budget cap. So we're, looking we're doing at six, better. We're doing better. <laughs> Nobody wants to say we're $6 million in the hole, but <clears throat> it could be worse. And this is $6 million. What, and what, what's the, uh, like, what was last year's budget? Um, we usually we spend about three hundred million dollars on public Worcester public schools. Okay, so six million is a is a big chunk of this, but it doesn't. I don't know. Well, and that's the thing. When you once you start talking about these numbers that are that big, you know, six million isn't twenty six million, and it's not a hundred million. Mm -hmm. It's still somewhere around. So we're probably not going to close most of the schools or anything like that. Well, and this is the thing that's that's part of the catch twenty two. The last time we were facing these big budget gaps. We did close schools, but we had extra capacity in schools. So we could close schools and actually had places to put kids. Mm -hmm. We don't have that anymore. Our schools are actually running at close to capacity. I mean, we even scrambled to try to figure out where to put two for, you know, the 244 students we actually have coming in. Um, we don't have the room to, say, close even one of our smaller schools and then shift those kids someplace else because we're using basically all the, almost all the classroom space we've got in the system. Let me ask you, let me ask you a, a provocative question, maybe. Um, <laughs> You're known for those, Mike. What is the, like, what, so what is the deal here? Like, you know, people want to have, people love public schools, by and large. If they don't love them, then they certainly use them heavily. Like, what is the deal that we can't, that we, it seems like my entire life, it's just always been like the school budget is is you know we're cutting we're cutting programs we're cutting programs we're cutting music we're cutting mm -hmm. theater we're cutting you know whatever you know math that involves the number six like you're just sort of cutting and cutting and cutting. Oh, I haven't heard that one yet. Why is it? What, <laughs> I, I went to. It's I'm a cost a, saving I was, measure. I was we mostly in the Oklahoma public <laughs> schools in the West Virginia public schools. Let me tell you something I know about this stuff. Um, so what is that? So like what 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 do you think is the fundamental problem here? Like because I, I you know you bring up California like uh, you know people will talk about you know what are the fundamental reasons yep. that politically California cannot. Well, California has together. some weird constitutional stuff. Yes, exactly. Like, which but, is just right. totally screwed but, up. Right. But, but people can point the finger at that and say, yes. this is why, even though some critical, num massive people in California might want to fix this problem, yep. there, you know, there might be this much political will, like a lot of political mm -hmm. will to fix it, but there's not like the overwhelming political will there would need to be to like, make constitutional changes to right. fix the problem. We're not in a similar situation like this with the Worcester Public Schools, are we? No. In yeah. our case, there isn't the will to pay for it. Okay. I mean... I, and I, I realized this this morning. I didn't do it either. The, did anyone stand up last night and say, okay, we're $6 million in the hole. We're looking at a $12 million under tax levy. Why don't we say to the city, we need more money? Um, I mean, the city is giving what it legally is required to give, but it's giving 
more or less the minimum it's required to give. Um, if the schools are going to have to lay off 60 teachers in order to balance the budget, if we really don't want to see that happen, then that means that people would have to pay more. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I feel, like, I feel like people would come back and say, well, you know, it's like, it's, it's a choice. Are we going to lay off 60 teachers, 60 policemen, 60 firemen? Well, and then that's the question that the city needs to have, too, is that if we are looking at another year of having to do that on the city side, and the city side, the city's budget gap, last I heard, was even more significant than the school's, are we willing as a community to pay more in order to make sure that doesn't happen? I mean, the, the, the two things that I thought were interesting is that last Saturday I was at a parent roundtable with parents from all over the city, and the first comment someone got up and made is, um, we talk about how the schools need more money, and I'm going to say right now that I am willing to pay more in my taxes in order to make sure that the schools have the money they need. And he got a, he got a standing ovation. We got a huge round of applause. The other thing is that because our property tax values have been falling in the city, people are paying less on their property taxes than they have for, for the last couple of years. If we actually were to raise property taxes, in many cases, people wouldn't necessarily be paying more money than they did last year um, because their property values have fallen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, are we going to have that conversation or are we not going to have that conversation this spring? It strikes me that this would be a good time to have that conversation. Um, My property taxes went up. I'm sorry, Brenda. <laughs> well, right, you're behind. <laughs> is it, I was going to say, but so. isn't it the first... But in your case, is it the first time that it's happened? No, it's like, gone up every year since I've owned. Has it gone up a lot? Or no, it it's, it's, it's not significant. It's, it's the funny math involved. It's, you know, it, we, we, we always focus that it's the lowest tax rate, but yes. the assessments are a year behind. So the assessments are still actually going. The assessments haven't necessarily caught up to the caught economy. Caught up to the number. Mm-hmm. Um, so they still actually did go up, even though, and the, the same is true for business taxes as well, too. The thing that always amazes me, and I think it's to the point that you're asking about funding, is you, know, you look at other communities, even here in the Commonwealth, just within the last couple of years, we've seen communities like Wellesley and Newton uh, go out of their way to spend as much money as humanly possible in, in terms of raising taxes to build new high schools or to, to bump up the infrastructure within the public school system. And there just doesn't, there's either a lack of uh, general interest in the, in, in the electorate or uh, the lack of, uh, of willingness in terms of uh, elected officials to take that first step to maybe encourage uh, Worcester to do the same. I, and I don't know, maybe you might have a better finger on that particular pulse as to whether or not it's resistance on behalf of taxpayers to uh, uh, entertain paying more to have a better system, or if it's an unwillingness uh, with elected officials to uh, risk uh, their, their futures as elected officials to maybe encourage the public to raise taxes. But it's not like it's unheard of to, to see other communities do that. And then the unfortunate byproduct for places like Worcester is those are the communities where the, the, the members of our community who actually value public education end up going to those communities to, to, to be better served by the, uh, the awesome resources that they have. Yeah, yeah. Isn't also part of the problem, like, um, there's sort of this trap where, you know, you have people who would be paying a lot of taxes, you know, high-income earners, and people have the choice of, like, mobility. And they live, or they work in Worcester, and they're part of the Worcester community, but they choose to live in the suburbs in, like, Holden or Shrewsbury mm-hmm. or whatever. And they move there because the public schools are better. Mm-hmm. They say like, oh yeah, I want a good school for my kids, I'm gonna move out to the suburb. Mm-hmm. And it kind of creates a trap where because they move there and they pay the taxes in some other town, and they, they have the money for their schools, then Worcester public schools are never great, nobody wants to move here, and the only people that live here are the people who can't afford to live out in the suburbs, or the people who can't afford to make the choice to move to someplace with a good public school system. Mm-hmm. And then we don't really get the money to improve our public schools. Mm-hmm. Is that is that also part of the problem? Or? That's part of it. I mean, because the, the, there is an agreement, I think, in many of those communities, in some cases unspoken, that this is a value that we as a community hold, 
and that rather than seeing a massive cut to our public schools, we'll raise our property taxes. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily as much of an agreement um, held by the community in Worcester. To Brendan's question, I think it's that it's, it's a dual thing that the minute someone in politics says something about property taxes, the people they hear from are the people who don't want to pay more. Right. It, it just always, it, it seems so odd because if you actually talk to people who are leaving the community, you know, like lifers in Worcester who mm -hmm. are picking up and just moving down the street to Holden or Paxton, if you have the opportunity to, have, to give them an exit, exit interview and say, why are you leaving? It's always, it's schools and then crime. Yes. You know, the only things that people care about are the things that can actually be uh, handled with public funds mm -hmm. or through public funding. Uh, the only way they can actually be taken care of. Uh, but they also seem to be the two places where you find the most resistance in terms of paying for those services. Mm -hmm. I want to ask one one more question, then we'll talk about macaroni and cheese. We're not going to get a chance to talk about born to, or what is it, born to run, race to the top today. Um, <laughs> I like that though. I'm going to remember the born to run thing. <laughs> so, um, so you said that this that that the funding is two thirds. Uh, our, our schools are two thirds state funded and one third city funded. Uh, with some federal funding too. With some federal funding. So, so really only a third of the problem, or I guess does this mean that only a third of the problem is. Worcester residents moving to Holden? We're making only a third of the problem Worcester residents moving to Holden. Because if we spent more money, then more of a proportion of the budget would be Worcester-based. If we actually, if Worcester itself anteed up more money, then more of a proportion of the budget would be coming from the city. So Worcester could decide, could, could ante up more, and then it would be half state and or, half city. Well, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the question is, is, yeah. is Chapter 70 disbursement throughout the, throughout the Commonwealth equal for every community? Not yet. Okay. So, I mean, They're working on that. Um, they like it to be, or is it based on community? The, um, they'd like it to be. It okay. used to be that your Chapter 70 funding formula prior to 1993 depended on who you had in the state house. Apparently, it was like this thing that the reps got together and just were like, so Boston has always been completely out of whack in terms of getting more from the state than is fair, mm -hmm. quote unquote. Um, so when Ed reform went through in 93 and then a couple of times since then they've actually looked at the funding formula again, um, there's been this ongoing shift to try to make it more equitable so that states were getting um, money in proportion to a very complicated formula involving how many low-income people you have and what your population is and how much your property tax value is and how much income is going into your community and all this other stuff. Boston is still getting, the last number I heard, about $30 million more than would be considered fair under the funding formula. But there's been, every year they're trying to kind of wean those, those cities and towns off of spending as much, or off of getting as much from the state and spending more themselves. Um, Worcester it was actually not one of those communities. Um, our proportion of representation wasn't, I guess, as high. So there's this ongoing bickering that goes back and forth um, in the legislature about how much money is coming from the state, is the funding formula fair, how much of it should be based on property taxes, how much of it should be based on income, you know, et cetera. Um, well, we should talk about this on, a, on additional <laughs> shows. Um, tune in next week. Tune in next week for another half hour or an hour. But I mean, the, sh the short answer to your question, to say one more last thing, yes. is that Worcester spends, um, the, the, the absolute bottom that you can spend is what's called the foundation funding formula. Worcester spends at that level and then 0.2% more, or at least it has the last okay. couple of years. There are communities that spend 114% more. There are communities that spend 105% more. Um, 
or 5% more, excuse me, 14% more, then they absolutely have to. Okay. So as a community, could we choose to spend more than the state absolutely minimally requires? Yes, we could. Okay. Awesome. Well, I just want to... Can we at least focus on the belt buckle? Oh, yeah. The belt buckle is absolutely... It says Mac and Cheese, <laughs> and it's a pimpin' uh, belt buckle for the Mac Daddy, Greg Offerman. How's it going, Greg? It's going pretty well. So you, so you won, and here it is. You, you won the uh, the 2010 Mac Daddy competition. Do I display? You can hold the display. Drew made this uh, booklet containing it's the my best recipe. vegan mac and cheese recipe. And this recipe. So first of all, I want to say, um, I think that previous, I think that the best vegan mac and cheese, the only vegan mac and cheese I've ever liked, is the one at Belmont Veg up on Belmont Street, down the street from your house. Um, but I heard and uh, and. Uh, it's kind of surprising me that there's not better vegan mac and cheese because, like, the gold standard for mac and cheese for a lot of people is like Kraft, which, if I remember correctly, is powdered cheese. <laughs> that this seems like, the, if anything, could be imitated with like you know high, enough hydrogenated vegetable <laughs> and soy. It would be something that's basically like the lowest possible crappy food. But there's no, I haven't had a lot of great stuff. But yours, I've heard that this is a good. That there was a good showing of cheese out there. Yeah, I mean, the trick is it doesn't try to be what you think of as mac and cheese. And that a lot of people, when they try to veganize recipes, they'll straight up just try to replace one thing with another. And vegan cheese science maybe isn't necessarily there yet. So when you try to melt a block of cheese in a pot and make a sauce, it doesn't really come out, you know? So the, the idea with this sauce is it's more about, like, the flavors inside, and it's got, like, a cheesy sauce made of nutritional yeast and soy milk. But, like, what really punches it up and, like, makes it stand out, I think, is, like, the curry powder, and it's got some garam masala... And the spices is really so it doesn't taste like, like what you would get out of the box, but I actually end up preferring it more to the like mac and cheese of my childhood. Okay, and this is uh, and this is now a legendary recipe because it has thirty ingredients. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a little including water. <laughs> yeah, I mean a lot of these things that you would have in your house if you do any amount of cooking. I don't have TP TVP. What is TVP? TVP is, are these. Um, it stands for textured vegetable protein. Sounds oh, okay. really gross, but they're just dried soy flakes. Mm -hmm. And you can get them at the Artichoke Co-op on Main Street or the Living Earth. I think we, it's cheaper at the Artichoke. Can, we got we got way more TVP than we need. We can drop off some TVP. Yeah. That's really okay. I'm pretty sure that my husband would let it in the house. <laughs> TVP is really great, though, because you just soak it in water and throw in some spices, and it becomes like ground beef. And it's totally, it, it's great for anyone who's craving that kind of like beefy texture in like any kind of dish. But is obviously a vegetarian or vegan. So, so now, now this this competition, I heard that how many entries were there in this competition? I think there were at least fifteen. And this was a competition for um, as a fundraiser for Veg Worcester yep. and for the Veg Fest. Yes. What's up? What's going on with the Veg Fest planning? So the Veg Fest is going to be a vegetarian and vegan food festival taking place on April seventeenth, I believe. Mm -hmm. In April, anyway. And the goal is to help promote awareness about veganism and vegetarianism. And to kind of, I guess, normalize veganism and vegetarianism. So what we're going to do is we're going to have um, a lot of tables with a lot of vendors with free vegan food, vegan food you can buy, you know, people who make vegan and vegetarian products. Um, we're going to have speakers about all sorts of different vegan topics, ranging from, like, where do we get our protein to, you know, cases for animal rights. Um, we're also going to have bands, which are in the works. Um, we don't have any bands confirmed yet, but that's our next real course of action. And um, it's just going to be a great time. Awesome. So. Awesome. So now I think we're going to get to a couple last items on the show. First of all, 
I want to say, this is my favorite sentence to say these days, I have entered a charity beard competition. <laughs> and the, 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 whisker, the Whiskerite competition is going to be February 20th uh, at the uh, dive bar, I think. I'll link to it. And um, a bunch of people have entered this. It's a fundraiser for the food bank. And uh, I don't know, people with beards step up. I'm going to have to do something creative because I feel like my beard is a little small. Have you seen the winners of the like um, World Beard Championships? Mm-hmm. There's like one guy who has a cage. He turned his beard yeah. into like a, a cage and around his head. And it opens up. <laughs> he can little... like open his beard to drink water or eat or whatever. We'll, it's fantastic. We'll link to this video because this is probably... Have you seen this video? <laughs> no. Yeah. I would have remembered that. Oh, this is incredible. Um, anyway, so <laughs> that's coming up. Also today, Friday... February 5th or whatever today's date is, there's a, a Haiti fund, another Haiti fundraiser Scott Zoback is doing. You actually know the details of this, right? <laughs> well, unusually enough. Yes, I do. It's at the Lucky Dog. It starts at 530 and goes until some awful hour tomorrow morning. And he's got an amazing lineup of everything from acoustic acts to rock to all kinds of stuff going on for hours and hours. It's a $10 cover at the door. There's going to be lots of people there. There's going to be food. $10. Yep. So going to Haiti. There's an offering of sorts taking place too, isn't there? I think local artists and whatnot yes, are auctioning right. wares and, and what have you. So there should be a plenty of opportunities to raise funds for the folks in Haiti. So people, if you want to get drunk with Scott Zoback, <laughs> it's always good. I can tell you that. Um, only $10 and it goes to a good cause. It does. For of you who have, yet, who have not yet gotten drunk with Scott Zoback, this is your opportunity. There you go. There <laughs> yeah, you go. Quick. We can talk next week about the appropriateness of doing this for Haiti or not. I think this is A-okay to do this for Haiti. The getting drunk part or the having a party We'll talk about it later. Everyone, thanks for watching the show. We're about out of time. Mike Benedetti signing off from the 508 Show.